ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this Monday edition of Voice the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is our first post-game day edition of the show, at least football game day as we are wrapping up. And East Carolina loss on this Labor Day coming out of opening weekend. Uh, it is Labor Day, but we felt it was important to, to have the show. Uh, we will have the coaches show as well later tonight on 94.3 The Game with Coach Houston live from Tiebreakers as well. That will be from 6 to 7. You can check it out, 94.3 The Game. IBX Media app, but we are going to have a Reaction Monday show today. Of course, Philip Bilkenton, our producer, standing by. We'll get into our thoughts coming out of the opener. Uh, the Pirates covered the spread, and they kept the shutout, non-shutout streak intact, I should say. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into maybe some of our picks from last week. Uh, college football week one not looking so hot, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. We are live, by the way, on Facebook, live on YouTube, and uh, Twitter as well. So if you've got a question for us, drop it there. you got a comment for us, drop it there. We're going to uh, be sharing a lot of your feedback throughout every Monday show throughout the season as we've got about 35, maybe 40 comments on my Twitter timeline right now. Uh, that we're going to be reading here shortly. But, Philip, the Pirates start the season 0-1. I think in many ways it was about what we expected. Realistically, EC was a 36-point underdog. Maybe we expected a, a few more points, but uh, we'll, we'll each share our initial take, and uh, I'll share mine a little bit. But your thoughts coming out of the big house as East Carolina starts the season 0-1 in Michigan. You know, overall, it wasn't a horrible game. One of the things I liked in the first half especially, it seemed like when ECU made a mistake the following play, they backed it up and played well. Look at that interception from Mason Garcia. Well, we ended up getting them in a third and long on that drive. Unfortunately, they convert that third and long, but it was two good plays by the defense. If you look at the big plays that they got to get into ECU territory, uh, the Pirates' defense stepped up, and usually, again, Michigan did convert on third down, so I guess that was kind of the negative side of it. A lot of third and longs were given up, but I thought overall we didn't let bad plays breed bad plays, or I should say maybe good plays for Michigan breed more good plays. So I like that, and that speaks a lot of a team who is physically outmatched uh, because it's very easy just to go out there and lose every single down, and I don't think we did that. Maybe we did in the third quarter. I know that was not the quarter we were outscored the most in, but that kind of seemed like that was the one where the Michigan had the most flow. But uh, other than that, I really thought they played pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, and look, if you take that, you know, I thought the biggest missed opportunity of the game, and, and there were, you know, not a ton, but the handful that ECU did get, they failed to take advantage of. And we talked about it going into the game. You had to take advantage of every single opportunity you got against an opponent like this, and you, you could not let any situation go by. So you get the, the three and out, which wasn't ideal, but then you get the awesome roll on the ensuing punt. You have them pinned back, pin back. You get uh, three and outs on them. You get it back at the 45 or 47, whatever it was, of their territory. You got to take that ball, and at least uh, if you go three and out, you punt them and you, you pin them back. But ideally, you take that ball, you go score. Even if it's a field goal, it kind of changes the feeling on both sidelines, saying, all right, maybe ECU is here to play. 
Instead, you get the uh, the bad throw from Garcia, the interception. They turned that into the touchdown. We can get into the officiating, just absolutely horrendous officiating with some of the calls that were made despite clear evidence and uh, suggesting and really proving otherwise. Uh, we could do a whole show on that. But I, I thought overall, look, here are my big takeaways. Number one, and I wrote kind of what we learned article on Hoist the Colors. You can check that out if you're a subscriber for more in-depth information on this. But number one, we, we still don't know what the, the quarterback situation is after Holt Nailers. Uh, I think ECU's got two candidates. They may play two. I think ideally one of those guys eventually emerges and go wins the game and then takes the job and runs with it. And we'll get into that discussion with several of your comments. Uh, number two, for me, the receiver position is still a major question mark. Offensively, you had several makeable plays not made that need to be made if this offense wants to uh, to, to be what, what it wants to be long term. They didn't help out their, their quarterbacks much at all in terms of contested catches. Uh, number three, the defense, the run defense is still really good. And that's a major positive because I thought Michigan would be able to line up and just run the football down ECU's throats. They did not. The pass defense, the pass rush still a concern, although I am willing to hold judgment uh, because Michigan has an elite offensive line. And J.J. McCarthy, I'll tell you what, Philip, I don't know how much you could tell on television, but he made some unbelievable NFL caliber tight window throws where I thought ECU had excellent coverage on third and long, second and long. He just made spectacular throws so could you get a feel for that on tv I, I got a lot of complaints about the pass defense still looks bad but i didn't think it looked that terrible i thought it was more mccarthy just dicing and slicing uh, what were your thoughts just watching her from home yeah and now obviously i was in the radio broadcast room so i was watching everything on a two-play delay so i was kind of listening to two plays later as i was watching so that was a little tough but yeah i thought he did make a lot of great throws and he was very poised in the pocket you know there were plenty of times where ECU would send four. Unfortunately, they wouldn't get there, but there was great zone coverage down the field. And, you know, the the thing is with zone, you hope the quarterback holds onto the ball split, you know, their split second, you can get there. Unfortunately, the Pirates weren't getting there. But there were still tight windows that he had to put it at, put the ball in, and he went through his progressions. I thought his head moved slowly from receiver to receiver, and I mean that in a good way. He didn't get frazzled when his first read wasn't there, and he really looked like a very mature quarterback. You can tell this is a guy who started last year. This is a guy who started in big games against big-time defenses, and there's a lot of great defenses in the Big Ten. If you even look at some of the lesser teams, the reason why they're lesser is because their offense is horrendous. You know, Iowa only let up 17 points a game last year. I don't know off the top my head if they did play Iowa but I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here I'm sorry that you're just asking me a simple question but uh I really did think JJ looked well um there was you know a couple plays where yeah maybe the coverage broke down down the field but when he's holding on the ball for six seven eight seconds you can only guard division one wide receiver so long yeah I think they only had ECU two or three quarterback hits all game uh and only two combined from their edge rushers uh so, you know, you got to get more pressure on the quarterback. But, again, a, a lot of that is a product of who you're playing. I mean, Michigan is is great. Uh, they're, they're number two for a reason. They look like a national championship caliber team. And uh, so, again, I, I think we'll know more in the coming weeks, and we'll, we'll get into that discussion as well later. Uh, the big thing for me, Philip, was special teams, man. I thought special teams looked night and day better than, uh, than at times what we saw last year. You know, Josh Murphy did his job. He fair caught some punts. So we didn't really see too much from the punt return game, but the punting game 
Got the fortune of some good rolls. I'm not sure if those Archer Trafford punts were designed or not. It kind of felt like they were as the game went on. He kept kicking the low-line drives that would bounce on that field turf. You had the 67-yarder. You had multiple field position flipping punts. Uh, and then there was one where the ball was blown dead, and he kicked it. I don't know if they showed this on the broadcast, but he kicked it, and he must have kicked it 60 yards in the air. So he's got the leg to boom it long. It's just a matter of what they're trying to do. Kickoff, the one kickoff from Leif Marjan. Uh, Leif Marjan was kicked through the end zone. Andrew Conrad did miss a 51-yarder, but he mailed, nailed the one at the end of regulation. I thought kickoff return looked solid. So um, your thoughts on special teams as well? That seemed to be a bright spot. Yeah, it did. And like I said, didn't get to see a lot of the kicking or the kickoff, kickoff return because they even had a few where they put it in the end zone or I know we yeah. fair caught one at the two. But speaking of that punt coverage, I mean, yes, Archer Traffer had some that bounced and we got a friendly roll, but the ones when he did get the ball and it was returned, great job by a, a slew of Pirates, especially Jalen Johnson. Jalen Johnson had two big tackles on punt returns, and had Jalen missed that tackle, there was always one or two more guys right there behind him. I thought great punt coverage, and when you see the difference in, you know, arguably the best team in the country and a group of five pretty good football team, usually there is a glaring difference on special teams. You know, they say the skill guys, not that much of a difference. Offensive line, defense line, huge difference. Special teams kind of splits that in the, down the middle. I didn't think it split that in this game. I thought that we were, you know, we're up to the test when it came to the special teams. All right, so again, this is a Reaction Monday. What we're going to do each Monday on the show is take your comments, whether it be on the live stream, YouTube, Facebook, get those in now if you want to. Otherwise, we got about 40 comments to get through on Twitter. We'll try to get through as many as we can, and what we'll do is I'll read these comments. Uh, Philip and I will then discuss them if they're, if they're kind of worth opening up on more. You know, there's some, uh, you know, we already got some fans wanting coaches' jobs because that's just how this is how this goes. Uh, this college football is big time college football, so you, you know you have those comments. If we read them on the air, it doesn't necessarily mean we uh, condone them or agree with them. But you know, this show is for the fans. We're going to listen to the fans. We're going to talk about what they want to discuss. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing a show. So we're going to have that discussion now. We'll, we'll get through a few of these comments, then we'll break, come back, and get through a bunch more. Uh, again, we'll preview Marshall, the upcoming game, later this week. Uh, Joe Sampson will be in studio tomorrow. We'll live stream early from 9.30 to 10.30 ahead of the press conference, and then we'll be at 12 noon the rest of the week. And we'll still be at 12 noon tomorrow on 94.3 The Game. Uh, just if you watch our live stream on Facebook, YouTube, we will be on at 9.30 due to the press conference. Uh, we'll also have Luke Creasy, who covers Marshall. He'll be on the show tomorrow as well. So uh, we'll really turn our attention to the upcoming opponent on Tuesday and moving forward. But Monday's shows are going to be more of a reaction day because it's our first chance to talk to you guys after the game. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, Mr. Juan on Twitter says, I think Marshall will be telling Cincinnati was really good the year that they went to the college football playoff. They did worse against Alabama than we did against Michigan. These uh, top one to two teams have backups that will be draft picks next level not throwing anyone out yet. And, I mean, I think that's a fair point, Philip, because at the end of the game, ECU did look much better. Of course, Michigan had caught off the dogs at that point, but I saw a lot of those comments, hey, what can we really tell from that point? But I would say Michigan's backups are probably just as good as, as every other team on ECU's schedule, don't you think? Yeah, and to his point there, they still will be top draft picks. They're just younger than the guys who are in the game right now. I think the only difference in – 
the guys in the, that start and the guys who don't is two more years in the weight room and two more years of film study. Talent-wise, my guess is their twos and their threes are the same talent as their ones. Power Five Pirates, uh, he, he responded to Mr. Juan's comment. He said, I'm, I'm not bragging about this by any means, but we look very good against Michigan's second unit, and there is a lot of promise behind this team for the, the reasons we just mentioned. Uh, Martin H., his comment is, uh, J.J. McCarthy carved up the ECU secondary as ECU stopped the run. ECU had good pressure at times on D. McCarthy just made plays. We discussed that earlier. He says ECU's quarterback play was solid by Alex Flynn and Mason Garcia. Michigan defense was just better. ECU's receivers didn't help the calls as too many drop passes. Third down conversions and penalties are concerning. Yeah, ECU was not good on third down, really on either side of the ball, definitely defensively. Early in the game, a lot of that goes back to McCarthy, uh, but that was an issue at times last year. And you know, want to see a bigger sample size before we 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 uh, you know see that too much. Um, ZD on Twitter says it's mind-boggling that Donnie still has a job when his game plan for an inexperienced QB was trying to run up the middle against one of the biggest teams in the country and then throw deep fades on third down. Horrible way of getting confidence up. I'll say this: so um, we you know. Coordinators, quarterbacks, they all get too much blame or too much credit, depending on what happens. Uh, it's hard to call. It's it's hard to call a game when you have a brand new quarterback, and I know Mason has started before, but and we'll I'll get your take on this as well, Philip. You know, I, I saw a lot of complaints about running on first down, and at times maybe some of those plays are RPOs too, where the quarterback is reading it and making that decision to hand the ball. So. It, it's not always just a straight handoff called up the middle. Uh, you're reading keys there. Uh, Alex Flynn, upon entering, he actually kept the the RPO and threw it over the middle on one of his first down plays. So, you know, that goes into it as well. Uh, secondly, it's hard to go on the road in front of 110,000 people and kind of feel your way into what exactly to call with an inexperienced quarterback with a ton of moving parts around them. So um, this offense is going to be a work in progress. I don't have a problem with ECU trying to run the ball because, I mean, if you just go out there and throw it 50 times against Michigan, you're going to get killed uh, offensive line-wise and quarterback. So you have to keep them honest. But I thought towards the end of the game, we did see Garcia look much more comfortable when he could just drop back and throw it and uh, didn't have as much pressure with the second team on there. We saw some of his ability. But what did you think about, you know, the early game play calling, Phillip, and, you know, some of the things that happened there? You know, realistically, Michigan's better at every spot talent-wise more times than not. So it's going to be hard to to move the ball no matter what you're calling at times. It is. And, you know, starting with the early game play calling, so through 10 plays, ECU had five runs, five passes. Usually the first 10 plays are scripted, and that's just to get a feel for the game. And usually you try and do go 50-50 or at worst 60-40. As the game went on, yes, there was a lot of first down running, but to your point, a lot of those could be RPOs. RPOs are tough to see on TV when the ball's handed off because you don't have that zoomed out view. And the minute the cameramen see him put the ball in the gut of the running back, they already know, hey, I'm probably not going to have to zoom out. And then they never do. So we don't see a lot of those RPOs. So you can tell that in the stadium. So I think it's great that you gave your intake on that. And also, you get to a point in this game where you – I mean, it was – Inevitable. We were not going to win. So I think if you're an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator for that matter, you just get put in a situation where you want to put your guys in every single situation, see how they respond, because 
you know, down the road, the next 11 games, you don't plan to be down 30 points at the end of the game. You want to know what you can do successfully and what you can't do successfully, and what is a better measuring tool than a defense that this good is this good, and what is a better time than in a game when you're down by 30 points or 24 points or whatever they were at the time of said complaint. And I saw too that uh, you know ZD mentioned the slot fade. Well, the, the play to Calhoun was open. It was just not a great throw by Garcia. He underthrew it. On that first series, if you lead them there, it's probably a completion, probably a big play. Also, the interception, Jalen Johnson was open. He got pressure in his face, kind of short-armed the ball instead of really being able to step into the throw. That turned into a pick instead of a big play. So it's not always on the play calling. And I get it that it's easy to blame the play calling. But, uh, you know, sometimes the, the players and the execution have to be there too. So, uh, And when you're playing the top two defense, uh, those things become problems. A few more comments. We'll get a break in. Ron says the offensive game plan was atrocious, atrociously timid and conservative. Players pay, play their butts off, though. The D-line was impressive against the run but couldn't generate any pass rush. And uh, the Steve, uh, the Pirate, says the revelation that this could be an unorthodox year where we use a two-quarterback system was his biggest takeaway. Mason has been here since 2020 was the anointed one to replace Holton. And the fact he isn't the permanent starter is worrisome. They need to pick one of those guys and roll with them. All right, let's tell you what, let's get a, we'll, we'll expand upon that comment on the other side. Let's get our first break in, uh, Philip, and then we'll come back. We'll talk about the quarterback situation, which I'm sure will be heavily discussed this week as we head into the Marshall game. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back into the show. There's the voice of Mike Houston, and we'll have more from Coach Houston tonight at the Coaches Show inside ECU Athletics, live from tiebreakers. That'll be from 6 to 7. We'll get his take on the opener, so tune in, 94.3 The Game, IBX Media app. We'll have you covered there, myself and Patrick Johnson. We'll have uh, the coverage from tiebreakers. We'll uh, have tons of insight coming out of the Michigan game. And then, of course, the press conference tomorrow at 12 noon. I'm sure we'll be talking about the quarterback situation. Uh, at this point, it's hard to ignore. We just had the question before the break uh, from Steve the Pirate. And this is a reaction Monday, so we're taking your comments. We're reacting to them. You're reacting to the game. And he basically said – that the comment after the game from Coach Houston about how this could be an unorthodox year with a two-quarterback system uh, caught his eye. We also have Justice Bradburn on YouTube. He says, my concerns revolving around the quarterback situation were accurate. This is a coaching failure. Props to the, uh, props to the line play on both sides. Five years in the program, he says. Uh, plenty of time for Donnie and Houston to have a ready successor to hold in this game of playing two quarterbacks to go forward is pitiful. So I've got several thoughts on this, and we could talk for the next 40 minutes on this alone, Philip, but um, Philip Pilkenden producing today's show. And it's easy to say you, you have a successor ready to go and all this stuff and easy to, to pick a guy to be the guy, but it's just so hard, the quarterback position, to evaluate until you, you, you see it in a game. Guys react differently all the time, and we saw it during the Ruff McNeil era. Lincoln Riley, who is considered the guru, the guru of all gurus, he picked Rio Johnson to start over Shane Carden, and we all know how that worked out. Lasted about two games. Shane Carden came in, won the job with his game performance, and never looked back. So 
it's easy to have somebody ready to go. And I really do think Garcia and Flynn both have the talent to be the guy. And to me, we're now just unfortunately at the point because they haven't got enough game action before due to holding nailers that we're just going to have to find out through growing pains on game day. And eventually I think somebody will step up, go win a game and become the guy. But until that happens, I think we're just kind of in this position, Philip. I don't know your take on it and this two quarterback system. I don't think it'll be this way all year. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think eventually one of these guys will win it, or at least that's what I'm I'm hoping for. Yeah, I think that it's Mason's job right now. It is not his job permanently. I think you're right. Someone will win it. Um, you know, we did our prediction segment on Friday as to who we think is going to win the mo- or get the most starts at quarterback, and I predicted Mason Garcia. So I do believe it will be Mason Garcia. But I think we were in a position on Saturday where Mason, young quarterback, definitely the more talented of the two. But from what we understand, uh, Alex might be a little more composed of the two, and Mason goes out there, throws a pick, and. He responds by throwing his next pass in the dirt. That next series was a three and out. He didn't look good. And if you're Coach Houston, if you're Donnie Kirkpatrick, you're still in this game when you go to that fourth series. I think we might have only been down three to nothing at that time. So you have to play to win the game you are currently at. And if they think Mason isn't right mentally, and I'm not saying this is a long-term problem, but just on that given day, in that given half, you got to go with the guy that you trust the most considering the issues at hand. And whereas, yes, maybe Mason's more talented, if Alex is more composed at a set moment and you're in the game, you're down three against arguably the best team in the country, you just got to do what you got to do. And they went with Alex. And, you know, Alex didn't play bad, but then they still, you know, wanted once the game got out of hand to see what Mason could do because, you know, kind of to everybody's point, there still is a competition. And you want to see if Mason could rebound back. I thought he rebounded back. He did play better. But, yeah, somebody's going to win this job. It might be four or five weeks, which stinks. You you want to go show up week one and know who the quarterback is. But at the end of the day, I mean, the 49ers – who arguably have the best roster in the NFC are in the same position as the ECU Pirates, where they're still not 100% sure who their quarterback is. If you watch the Utah game the other day, yes, their starter was hurt, but they didn't go in with a set guy to be their number two, which I know two's a lot different than one, but their starter's supposed to be back next week, but he could get hurt again, and they could be in the same situation. We saw Duke back when they were very good in the David Cutcliffe era run both Thomas Sirk and Anthony Boone. So it happens, and it's not ideal, but it's just part of the game. And right now, we've just got to live with it. That's all I got. Yeah, I mean, fair, fair breakdown there. And I think, yeah, we just don't – they're just going to have to decide on game day. I mean, and I, I think they want Mason to be the guy due to his runability and his upside. But, you know, he's got to go out there and prove that he can handle it. And uh, I thought for sure Alex looked more composed when the game was on the line. He looked more in control of the offense. It doesn't mean Mason can't eventually win the job and, and roll with it. Um, we saw late in the game his talent play out. I mean, he was making throws across the field that normal quarterbacks don't make. So he's just got to continue to get live reps. And uh, But the, the thing the coaching staff has to juggle right now is you still got to win football games. You can't. You know, you can't just, uh, you know, punt games to to grow your quarterback. you got to win while also trying to get these quarterbacks ready to go. 
you know, if you want to be mad at something, maybe look at, you know, maybe we should have found a way to get more reps for, you know, Garcia or Flynn in the past. You know, maybe that's more of the thing to be mad at. And, and that's, a, I think, a fair argument. But also you were trying to win games then, too. So it's just, uh, you know, when you lose a quarterback, this is the conundrum you have. It happens at every program across the country. Um, and, you know, for those saying ECU should have went to the portal to get a quarterback, you know, that's easier said than done, too. Uh, when these guys are getting paid a bunch of money to to go to other programs through NIL. But, um, again, one game against the number two team in the country, we still just have so much more to learn. Anybody saying that we have our quarterback or Alex Flynn is the guy or Mason Garcia is the guy after right now, I, I just don't think we know. I think we need more more sample size. The only way that's going to happen is more games. So, um, all right, let's get back to your comments. Uh, Chris Long, speaking of that that said comment, he says, Alex Flynn is quarterback one. It shouldn't be that tough of a question from what we saw. I love Garcia. The kid is a turnover machine waiting in the wings. Flynn was mature and composed, played great. I know it's only been one game, but I think the hesitancy is based on his potential. Again, uh, one game. So if you were basing it off the, the one game, yeah, I think Alex played better in his uh, three series than Mason in his six overall. But, I, you know, that's three series, um, you know, you, over the course of a season, you're going to have a ton more reps. Uh, and, and so now that teams also have, have film on Flynn, that also becomes a factor as well. So it's uh, it's far from done. Uh, Bar- Barstool ECU says, got to find a way to use Javius Bond more. Kid is special. Felt like every big play we had came from him. And, Philip, we, we heard a lot about Javius in the preseason. I thought he, he looked as advertised, didn't you? Yeah, I thought he did, and, and I thought we used him a good amount, too. And one of the things that we saw this week that we did not see last year was 20 personnel. There was times that both Javius Bond and Rajay Harris were on the field. We didn't see that. If we did with Keaton and Rajay last year, we could probably count it on one hand the amount of times. And so I think they are going to use him a lot. But to kind of my point earlier when I was – I don't remember what I was making the point about. I think it was, it was the play calling, where you get to a certain point in the game where you have to – say, hey, we're probably going to get beat. Let's just see what we have. And in that situation, I think Javius Bond kind of had proved himself already. So Coach Kirkpatrick decided, hey, you know, let's see what else we've got because, yeah, maybe he is the focal point in the offense moving forward. And that's great, but he still needs a supporting cast. And I thought a lot of different guys got involved or at least they attempted to get more guys involved than in some of the names that maybe we thought weren't going to get involved as much. So, I think it was a good thing. I think we saw a good balance on Saturday. Got the pro football focus numbers pulled up. Uh, Javius Bond was the highest graded running back. Um, 17 snaps out of 58, but it felt like he touched the ball on, on about half those snaps. So I would expect that snap number to go up for Javis Bond, the true freshman running back. All right, uh, Pirate 24-7, he says, tell the quarterbacks to stop thinking and rip it. Uh, fair point. I thought when Mason was just back there throwing, he looked much more comfortable. Of course, when you're at the quarterback position, you got to think quite a bit. So you got to find that balance. Uh, but I, I know they they want to get Mason comfortable to where he can just go play and not have to think too much. And I think that's when his talent is going to shine. Uh, Austin Voss says the positives for him were the speed and the length on defense. The Pirates were flying around. The negative was the wide receiver play. Several balls dropped in lack of separation. Yeah, not a single receiver, Phillip, according to Pro Football Focus, graded out above average. And they were facing a good defensive backfield, but 
as much as we're talking about the quarterbacks, I think the receivers have to be a lot better moving forward as well. Yeah, you and I were texting last night, and you know Jalen Johnson dropped two balls, most notably that one up the seam on third down, just a pretty routine over-the-shoulder catch. Uh, I thought Jarrett Gardner didn't play bad. Uh, he had that one OPI, and that's probably what caused him to be below average because other than that, I thought he looked decent. But, yeah, still kind of to what you, Joe, and myself were talking about on Friday is it's like who is going to emerge out of this receiver room? And, yeah, just nobody looked like that guy. They all looked like a bunch of number threes out there. Maybe Jarrett Gardner looked like a number two. But nobody looked like a true number one. And when you're a quarterback, you kind of got to have that go-to guy. And as much as we love Javius Bond, that go-to guy can't be a running back. You know, we saw the Panthers struggle when their go-to guy was Christian McCaffrey. You need a receiver as well as a back. Still a lot of things to figure out offensively. Uh, we'll get a few more comments in, get our second break. Uh, Heidi says, special team stood out. Good punts. And Andrew Conrad Showed high-level composure. Go Pirates. Uh, Adam says, Rajay Harris still runs hard. That was good to see. It was definitely great to see Rajay back. Uh, Judge Smell says, concerned about the quarterback position. We need someone who can make plays, and I just didn't see it. Granted, we played possibly the best team in the country on the road. Three years of coaching them up, and I just didn't see it. Um, and, uh, again, I think we need more of a sample size. I understand the, the frustration with the quarterback position. But uh, I also think we just need more more live reps. It's just hard to play quarterback until you're out there on game day. You can only learn so much in practice, especially with all the pressure that comes from that position. Uh, Dale says, hard to make any real statements about this team from this last game. Michigan is really good. I'm thinking we'll fare much better against teams closer to our physical level, especially in our conference. Daniel Wiseman, last comment here. We'll get a break. He says, defense played very well overall, especially against the run. The team never at any time quit. Was very proud, honestly. And, uh, yeah, Philip, down 30 nothing, getting a goal line stand against the number one Michigan offense. I thought that was a pretty impressive showing. I know for those that bet on the Pirates to cover the 36-point spread, that was a huge sequence. But uh, something about ECU and goal line stands, it just seems like they're really good at it. Yeah, that kind of goes to my point I was making in the beginning where, like, big plays didn't breed big plays. And it seems like when our back was against the wall, we played well. I mean, yeah, there were some third and longs that were let up, but was that ECU playing bad or J.J. McCarthy playing good? Or the officials allowing J.J. McCarthy to go four yards past the line of scrimmage and throw the football? You know, I think the goal line defense was good. They were physical, and that's something that usually you struggle against when you're playing a, a program like this because you are undersized and where does that come into play more than anywhere on the field at the goal line and uh they they were up to the task today or on saturday so really proud of them there all right let's get our uh second break in we'll come back we'll have our pirate of the week brought to you by east coast agency not a ton of points so maybe we go to the defensive side of the ball maybe we go special teams we'll find out on the other side we'll read more of your comments as well we still got to talk about the officiating situation, uh, too, because it was uh, embarrassing. All right, let's get our break in. Uh, you're listening to Hoist the Colors 94.3 The Game. We'll be right back. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? This reaction Monday, we are reading 
your comments, your questions, if you have any. We got a few on YouTube we need to get to here in a second, but uh, we got a lot more on Twitter we're going to have to run through. But it is time for our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week. And not going to lie, this one was a little tough. When you only put three points on the board, it makes it a little tough and no really game-changing plays defensively. So I kind of dove into the pro football-focused numbers couple of linebackers are going to take a co-pirate of the week home for me. B.J. Davis, South Carolina State linebacker transfer, and Mike Edwards III were two of the highest-graded defenders. We talked about how much the run defense uh, looked or, you know, kind of surprised us in shutting down the Michigan offense on, on Saturday. And these two guys were a big reason why. Uh, Taylor Jackson also played well as, as well, but B.J. Davis finished as the highest-graded defensive player for the Pirates across 23 snaps. And Mike Edwards, in his first start as a Pirate, the former Georgia Southern transfer, uh, finished with six tackles, did not miss a stop, had an 80.5 run defense grade. So Michael Edwards and B.J. Davis, your co-Pirates of the week, representing a very solid ECU run defense performance. Of course, want to continue to clean up some of the, uh, the pass coverage, but B.J. Davis also graded out really well in coverage as well. Actually had a pass breakup and uh, had a, a quick stop on a short two-yard completion. So I thought uh, B.J. looked really good, the South Carolina State transfer. Really excited about that position moving forward. All right, getting into more of your comments, let's hit some of these real quick. Philip Pilkington is alongside. He is producing uh, today's program. Uh, David Lloyd says, what was up with the sideline warning? I was looking right down the line in the stands and no players crossed the sideline. Maybe someone talked junk to the ref. Yeah, somebody asked Mike Houston after the game. He didn't know. He thought uh, maybe somebody tripped um, the ref by accident and he was not given an explanation. So I'm guessing the ref was running the sideline and hit someone. But uh, didn't end up really impacting the game. Uh, Robert says defense tackled very well. Special teams covered very well. Yeah, those were two bright spots. Tackling early in the season can sometimes be a problem. It was not a problem for ECU on uh, on Saturday. On Facebook, Keith Garrett says Michigan used the run to set up the play-action pass. It worked. They played a safe game plan. We are making a mistake and overvaluing our performance. Fans are being way more impatient with Mason than they were with Holton. I don't know. Fans were pretty impatient with Holton, too. Um, so I think that's just the nature of the quarterback position. At the end of the day, the coaches are going to they're gonna make the right call. Uh, Holton was never moved to tight end like so many wanted to. I definitely think in many ways we are overreacting to game one, but it's all we have to do. I mean, we don't have any other game sample size. And so we got to talk about something. We can only talk about what we've seen. And the fan base has only seen one game. And that's why I do say, let's be patient. Let's see what happens in week two. Uh, Trey Strickland says, kids had enough going against them and kept their heads up. They didn't need crappy officiating to add to it. All right, there we go. I was waiting for somebody to comment on it. Now we have our window, Philip. What was the, uh, the, the failure to overturn the touchdown pass? where J.J. McCarthy is clearly over the line of scrimmage. Even the announcers and the the rules analyst, Terry McCauley, former NFL official, said it should be overturned. Was that one of the worst calls you've ever seen in any sporting event? Yeah, and you know, look, officials are humans. They miss calls. But to go back and review it and then miss it, you can't miss a review. It And it, I'm going to 
kind of bring up something that's going to hurt you, I go here, but I it took me back to the 14 divisional round when you guys were playing the Colts. I don't remember this. Late in the fourth, you guys punted. Their guy caught the ball, got immediately tackled. His back hit the ground, and then the ball popped out. They said he was down by contact, but the rule was he never completed the process of the catch, just like catching a punt, just like catching a pass. He never made the football move, and that was something they blew. Well, there were three things in this game. There was the J.J. McCarthy, clearly, obviously. You had four minutes to look at it or whatever. You get it wrong. You go back to that Jalen Johnson catch, no catch. They got that part right, but they just forgot to review the fact that Michigan had 12 defensive players on the field. And how do you miss a guy running off the field? Again, reviewable play. And then you go to the Jack Powers ejection, which was horrendous. Terry McCauley, again, three times. He was the head ref in a Super Bowl. He was the head ref in his fourth season ever in a Super Bowl. No guy had ever been a head ref in a Super Bowl prior to his fifth season. This is arguably the greatest official of all time. Said not targeting. And he said J.J. McCarthy was over the line. And they're still messing it up. You can't mess up reviews. I mean, you can mess up heat of the moment. A football play happens like as fast as a car crash. You can miss calls on the field. You cannot miss calls in the replay booth. Unless it's against ECU somehow. Because it happened against Tulsa in uh, 2020. And still, that was the worst I've seen. This was probably a close second. Um, it's just inexcusable. And I, I don't know what we have to do to start holding these refs accountable. I've thought about, honestly, messaging the Big Ten office. I believe these were Big Ten officials. And asking them, although I'm doubtful I'll get a response, what happens when clearly they get a call wrong, multiple calls wrong, failure to even realize that 12 guys are on the field on a play they're reviewing? I mean, what are we doing, man? Like, I can understand missing it, like you said, in the heat of the action, but you literally have people crowded around a screen, a review screen. You've got an office where they're helping to review things. I just don't understand how this stuff happens and how it goes unpunished. So I don't know, man. We're going to ask Mike Houston about this week. I doubt he'll be able to say it so much, but it's, it's just inexcusable. Let's get back to the comments. Uh, we got to run through some of these uh, because we got several left. Um, Jay, the Jets fan, maybe you're actually excited this year to Aaron Rodgers, but um, he is talking about ECU in this comment. He says, once our offense starts clicking and the quarterback situation is solved, we should be a good team. Defense look really good. Pass D, not so much. Malcolm Phelps chimes in. He says, Bond, Jay Bond. Give him the dang ball. Michigan's quarterback had an elite day on to Marshall Hydrate all week. Yeah, I haven't seen the, the weather yet for Saturday, but I hope it's going to be a, a warm one. It was pretty warm in Ann Arbor as well, so uh, it should be a hot one on uh, on this Saturday as the Pirates get ready to open up at home. Um, another comment here on Twitter, really impressed with how our defense played. Game was much closer than the score indicates. Donnie Kirkpatrick. Should have been let go two years ago, yet here we are. Coach Houston can be loyal to a fault. Proud of this team that had a lot of question marks going into this game. Go Pirates. Pirate Chris says, refs are still on the take for the Power Five. We should be pretty good on the run defense. The offense lacks originality. I think we'll be pretty good against our level of opponent. I'm not reading into much with the quarterbacks in their first game at Michigan. Destry chimes in. He says, special teams looks like a net advantage for us this year. Their run defense is elite. If the back end is average, that makes for a very good total defense. That's two-thirds of football to be good. It depends on if we can field an average offense. 
I think we can versus most most teams. Where, where do you come down, Philip? On is this defense really as good as we saw at times on Saturday, or is Michigan just playing a pretty soft game plan? I believe that was who uh, that was somebody in Facebook who said that Keith. He kind of says we're reading too much into the defense as well, just due to the the easy game plan they had. Do you uh, you kind of lean towards that, or more the ECU's run defense and and potentially overall defense is pretty legit. Uh, I kind of lean to the point you made earlier about the small sample size. You know, college football is the one level of football where there's not preseason. High school, you play those jamborees and you have other scrimmages throughout August. NFL, you have preseason, and it is a small sample size. But what I will say, I agree they were playing a little conservative, but at the end of the day, we always talk about it, in the trenches, the Power 5 programs and even the top 2 and 3 programs in the country are so much just bigger. Not that they're necessarily better, but God just made those human beings bigger than our human beings. And we were up to the task. So, yeah, they did play conservative to an extent, but still, when a guy weighs another 30 pounds than you and you're, and you're playing good against him, something's got to be said for that, right? That's kind of how Michigan plays too. Like they they run the ball and they do play action passing. So that's kind of their game plan. They don't really spread them out anyway. So they kind of are what what they are. Some teams can stop it. Other teams can't. And um, ECU proved on Saturday at times it could stop it. So the other big thing is they got to get off the field on third down, which somebody brought up earlier. But overall, I thought there were some major positives defensively. All right, we'll hit a few more comments, get our final break in. Allen says, first touchdown by Michigan should have never happened. I don't understand. you got to give Mason a chance, see what he does against Marshall, then make a decision. Run defense looked good, but we were loading the box. I think the corners held their own for the most part. Eight wins is possible. There's a lot in that comment, but I agree with a lot of it. Um, Pirate for life, I feel better about our season, he says, postgame than I did in the preseason. I like what I saw on defense. If offense doesn't change significantly this year, uh, the OC has to go. Pirate fans love strong defense, but they also want a successful offense that's productive, fun, and has imagination. You know, I always see, too, like the guy get creative. They tried several end of rounds and, you know, misdirection plays, and Michigan was all over it. So it was just one of those things. Michigan was just better, and, and ECU's got to get better on offense all around. Uh, Sports for Life says, impressed with how we played. We showed a lot of promise, especially defensively. I think we should have a solid year. John on Twitter says, we were sold a bill of goods in Garcia. Flynn was May. Might have to see what Jeter has got at some point. So he's already ready to move on to QB3. Don't think that's going to happen, John. It was one game against the number two team in the country. Uh, last question from Kim. She says, our think, I think our team held us on. Could have been a complete blowout, especially against a second-ranked team, but our guys did amazingly well. Keep your heads held high and on to the next game. All right, we'll get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll finish up your comments. We'll have final thoughts as well. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko. The Game. All right, welcome back into the program, wrapping up a Reaction Monday, first of the year, football season. I want to run through a few more of these comments Philip Pilkington is producing. We're, uh, we got a few more minutes left, so we'll get through some of these, give our final take as well. Uh, we're reading your comments on social media. Drop any YouTube, Facebook if you got them at the last second here. Uh, John Palmer says, love the defensive line and the speed of the linebackers dating back to Saturday's game. Interested to know where the $1.8 million will go 
and what it will be used for certainly deserves to go to the towards the practice facility if possible. I know there's always tricky state rules when it comes to money. Uh, I think it just goes into the overall athletic, uh, you know, fee or the overall athletic budget in terms of paying for expenses. But I will try to find that out. Um, Jeff says encouraging special teams showing. We found a punter. Glad to Conrad nailed the field goal at the end of the game, and he is. Miss earlier wasn't a bad kick from 51, from 51 yards. It was far from a gimme. He says he will add that Javius Bond is going to be special and quickly. Make Dowdy Rowdy again on Twitter. Says fix the quarterback issue and we have a good team. D-line look good and our O-line look good as well. And SBY Weather, final comment, says should have been a 26-6 game worst case if it wasn't for the refs. Could have been closer than that. Run defense picked up where it left off. Hard to judge the pass coverage due to them having to cover for so long. Offense looked better in the second half. Overall, he was happy is what he says. Uh, and the last thing I'll say here, so David Honeycutt says, this team should improve every year. It just isn't happening. We should be at the top of the American. Um, I've got several thoughts on that. Every year is not created equal. You could argue last year the Pirates should have won more games than they did. Uh, obviously, kicks cost them some of those big plays at the wrong time, cost them a double-digit win season. They also had some big plays at the end to win some games. So, you know, not every year is created equal. Realistically, this year, they could still get to the top of the American, but at a school like ECU, you're not going to be able to just reload year after year. You've got to, you know, find a way to sustain success and then go win a championship maybe when, when all of it comes together in the right time. And right now, with the quarterback situation, Unless it improves dramatically throughout the year, it's hard to say ECU is going to be a conference championship contender. Now we're in one of 12 games. I think the pieces in place are in place for this team to get better throughout the year if the quarterback and the offense improve uh, and the defense and special teams continue their consistency we saw in the opener and uh, the defensive success from last year, especially against the run, continues. But uh, I think there's some things to work with here, but not all things are linear. And when you're trying to build a, a championship caliber program, you're sometimes going to have some peaks and valleys. Uh, Philip, this has been fun. Uh, Reaction Monday. Appreciate your time on today's program as well. And um, it's hard to believe, man, but the season's already here, and I think it's going to fly by from this point forward. Yeah, I think it will. And uh, appreciate you having me on. It was fun. Um, I know we probably could have went on and made this a, a four-hour show very easily. <laughs> I feel bad have. I didn't even get around to uh, asking you how your time was in Michigan. Maybe you can give us a quick brief here, the last minute or so, and maybe uh, maybe uh, get more into it tomorrow. But did you enjoy your time there in the Big House? Yeah, it was awesome, man. Just uh, yeah, I, I you know can touch on it more tomorrow when we got Joe on. But it was incredible atmosphere. Awesome stadium, um, and you know the the Michigan people, at least media wise, were great, and uh, fans I talked to were great, very complimentary of ECU. So we'll get more into that conversation tomorrow. We'll have Joe Sampson in studio, and uh, we'll be live at nine thirty on the live stream, live at twelve noon tomorrow on the radio. All right, we'll be back then. We'll start turning our attention to Marshall. But this has been a Reaction Monday on Hoist the Colors, ninety four three the game. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all 